Chapter Twenty One of In Freedom's Cause. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In Freedom's Cause by G. A. Henty. Chapter Twenty One, The Siege of Aberfilly. Punctual to his agreement, Archie Forbes marched out with his, with his retainers. He was loath, indeed, to leave Marjorie, but he knew well that a long time indeed must elapse before he could hope to settle down quietly at home, and that it was urgent to hurry on the work at once before the English made another great effort to stamp out the movement. Marjorie did not attempt to induce him to overstay his time. She was too proud of his position as one of the foremost knights of Scotland to say a word to detain him from the field. So she bade him adieu with a brave face, reserving her tears until after he had ridden away. It had been arranged that Archie should operate independently of Douglas, the two joining their forces only when threatened by overwhelming numbers or when any great enterprise was to be undertaken. Archie took with him a hundred and fifty men from his estates in Lanark and Ayr. He marched first to Luton Hill, then down through Cumnock and the border of Carrick into Galloway. Contrary to the usual custom, he enjoined his retainers on no account to burn or harry the villages and granges. The people, he said, are not responsible for the conduct of their lords, and I would not see the English harrying the country round Alberfilly, so I am loath to carry fire and sword among these poor people. We have come hither to punish their lords and to capture their castles. The country people must suppose us we must needs fight them, but beyond what is necessary for our provisions let us take nothing from them, and show them, by our conduct, that we hold them to be Scotchmen like ourselves, and that we pity rather than blame them inasmuch as by the orders of their lords they are forced to fight against us. Archie had not advanced more than a day's march into Galloway when he heard that Sir John de St. John was marching with four hundred men-at-arms to meet him. There were no better soldiers in the following of Bruce and the retainers of Aberfilly and Glencairn. They had now for many years been frequently under arms, and were thoroughly trained to fight together. They had the greatest confidence in themselves and their leader, and having often with their spears withstood the shock of English cavalry, Archie knew that he could rely on them to the fullest. He therefore took up a position on the banks of a river where a ford would enable the enemy to cross. Had he been less confident as to the result, he would have defended the ford, which could only be crossed by two horsemen abreast. He determined, however, to repeat the maneuver which had proved so successful at Stirling Bridge, and let half of the enemy cross before he fell upon them. The ground near the river was stony and rough. Great boulders which had involved from the hillside were thickly scattered about it, and it would be difficult for cavalry to charge at the somewhat steeply sloping ground anything like unbroken order. With eighty of his men, Archie took up his possession one hundred yards back from the stream. With great exertion, some of the smaller boulders were removed, and rocks and stones were piled to make a wall on either flake of the ground, which, standing too deep, he occupied. The remaining seventy men he divided equally, placing one company under the command of each of his two faithful lieutenants, Andrew McPherson and William Moore. These took post near the river, one on each side of the fort, and at a distance of about one hundred yards therefrom. Orr's company were hidden among some bushes growing by the river. MacPherson's lay down among the stones and boulders, and were scarce likely to attract the attention of the English, which would naturally be fixed upon the little body drawn up, up to oppose them in front. The preparations were scarcely completed when the English were seen coming. They made no halt at the river, but at once commenced crossing the ford, confident in their power to overwhelm the little body of Scots, whose number had, it seemed to them, been exaggerated by the fears of the country people. As soon as a hundred of the men-at-arms had passed, the leader marshaled them in line, 
and with level spears charged up the slopes against Archie's force. The great boulders broke their ranks, and it was but in straggling order that they reached the narrow line of Scottish spears. These they in vain endeavored to break through. Their numbers were of no avail to them, as, being on horseback, but twenty men at a time could attack the double bow of spearmen. While the conflict was at its height, Archie's trumpet was sounded, for he saw that another hundred men had crossed the ford. At the signal, the two hidden parties leapt to their feet, and with level pikes rushed toward the ford. The English had no force there to resist their attack, for as the men-at-arms had passed, each had ridden on to join the fray in front. The head of the fort was therefore seized with but little difficulty. Or, with twenty men, remained here to hold it and prevent others from crossing, while Macpherson, with fifty, ran up the hill and fell upon the rear of the confused masses of cavalry who were striving in vain to break the line of Archie's spears. The attack was decisive. The English, surprised and confused by the sudden attack, were unable to offer any effectual resistance to Macpherson's pikemen, and at the same moment that these fell upon the rear, Archie gave the wind as men rushed forward upon the struggling mass of cavalry. The shock was irresistible. Men and horses fell in numbers under the Scottish spears, and in a few minutes those who could manage to extricate themselves from the struggling mass rode off in various directions. These, however, were fewer number, for ninety were killed and seventy taken prisoners. St. John himself succeeded in cutting his way through the spearmen and swimming the river below the ford, rejoined his followers, who had in vain endeavored to force the passage of the ford. With these he rapidly retired. The detachment of fifty men were sent off with their prisoners to Bruce, and Archie, with the main body of his followers, two days later joined the force under Sir James Douglas. Upon the following morning, a messenger from Aberfilly reached Archie. My lord, he said, I bring you a message from the Lady Marjorie. I have spent five days in searching for you, and have never but once laid down during that time. Therefore do not blame me if my message is long in coming. What is it, Evan? Nothing is wrong there, I trust. The Lady Marjorie bade me tell you that news has reached her, that from each of the garrisons of Ayr, Lanark, Stirling, and Bothwell, a force is marching toward your hold, which the governor of Bothwell has sworn to destroy. When I left, they were expected hourly inside, and this is full a week since. Aberfilly can hold out for longer than that, Archie said, against all by surprise, and the vessels would have had time to gather. Yes, the man replied, they were flocking in when I came away. The men of Glen Cairn had already arrived. All the women and children were taken to the hills, according to the orders which he gave. And now, good Evan, do you eat some supper and then rest? No wonder you have been so long in finding me, for I have been wondering without ceasing. I will start at once with my followers here for Aberfilly. By tomorrow evening we will be there. Archie hurried to the hut occupied by Douglas, told him the news, and said that he must hurry away to the defense of his castle. Go, by all means, Archie, Douglas replied. If I can gather a force sufficient to relieve you, I will myself march thither. But at present I fear that the chances of my doing so are small, for the four garrisons you have named would be able to spare a force vastly larger than any with which I can meet them in the field, and the king is no better able to help you. I will do my best, Archie said. The castle can stand a south siege, and fortunately I have a secret passage by which we can escape. Never mind the castle, Douglas replied. When better days come, we will rebuild it again for you. A few notes on a horn brought Archie's little band of followers together. Telling them the danger which threatened Glen Cairn, Archie placed himself at their head, and at a rapid step they marched away. It was five and forty miles across the hills, but before morning they approached it and made their way to the wood in which was the entrance to the subterranean passage leading to the castle. Archie had feared that they might find the massive doors which closed it, a short distance from the entrance, securely fashioned as usual. They were shut, indeed, but as they approached them they heard a challenge from within. It is I, Sir Archie Forms. The door was opened at once. 
"'Welcome, Sir Archie,' the guard said. "'The Lady Marjorie has been expecting you for the last five days, "'and a watch has been kept here constantly to open the door should you come.' "'The messenger could not find me,' Archie said. "'Is all well at the castle?' "'All is well,' the man replied. "'The English have made two attacks, but have been beaten back with great loss. "'This morning some great machines have arrived from Stirling "'and have begun battering the walls. "'Is it your will that I remain here on guard, now that you have come?' Yes, Archie said, it were best that one should always be stationed here, seeing that the entrance might for a chance be discovered by one wandering in the wood, or they might obtain their secret fix existence from a prisoner. If footsteps are heard approaching, retire at once with the news. There is no danger if we are warned in time, for we can turn the water from the moat into it. Archie and his followers now made their way along the passage until they entered the castle. As they issued out from the entrance, a shout of joy rose from those near, and the news rapidly flew through the castle that Archie had arrived. In a moment, Marjorie ran down and threw herself into his arms. "'Welcome back, Archie, a thousand times! I have been grievously anxious as the days went on and you did not return, and I fear that some evil must have befallen you. It has been a greater anxiety to me than the defense of the castle, but I have done my best to be hopeful and bright, to keep up the spirits of our followers.' It was no easy task for your messenger to find me, Marjorie, for we are ever on the move. Is my mother here? No, Archie, she went a fortnight since on a visit to Lady Gordon. It is well, Archie said, for if in the end we have to leave the castle, you, who have proved yourself so strong and brave, can, if needs be, take to the hills with me. But she could not support the fatigues of such a life. And now, dear, we have marched all night and shall be glad of food. While it is preparing, I will to the walls and see what is going on. As Archie reached the battlement, a loud cheer broke from the defenders gathered there, and Sandy Graham hurried up to him. "'Welcome back, Sir Archie. Glad am I to give up the responsibility of this force. Although, indeed, it is not I who have been commanded, but Lady Marjorie. She has been always on the walls, cheering the men with her words and urging them to deeds of bravery. And, indeed, she has frightened me sorely by the way in which she exposed herself where the arrows were flying most thickly. For as I told her over and over again, if the castle were taken, I knew that you would be sure that I had done my best.' What, but what excuse should I be able to make to you if I had been to bear the news that she had been killed? And what did she say to that, Sandy? Truth, sir, she's a woman and willful, and she just laughed and said that you know you cannot keep her in order yourself, and could not therefore expect me to rule her. That is so, Sandy, Archie laughed, but now that I am back I will for once exert my authority, and will see that she runs into no further danger. And now, how goes the siege? So far they have done but little damage, sir Archie. But the machines which they brought up yesterday will, I fear, play havoc with our walls. They have not yet begun their work, for when they brought them up yesterday afternoon, our men shot so hotly that they had to fall back again. But in the night they have thrown out high banks of earth, and have planted the engines under their shelter, and will, ere long, begin to send their messengers against our walls. Thrice they assaulted the works beyond the drawbridge, and twice we beat them back, but last night they came on with all their force. I was myself there, and after fighting for a while and seeing they were too strong for us, I thought it best to withdraw before they gained footing in the work, and so I had time to draw off the men and reach the drawbridge. Quite right, Sandy. The defenders of the post would only have been slaughtered, and the assailants might have rushed across the drawbridge before it could have been raised. The post is of little importance save to defend the castle against a sudden surprise, and would only have been a source of constant anxiety and loss. How many do you reckon them? Judging by their tents, there must be three or four thousand. About three thousand, Sir Archie, I make it, and as we had no time to get the tenants for my lady's Irishshire estate, we have but two hundred men in the castle, many of these are scarce more than boys. 
I have brought a hundred and fifty with me, Sandy, so we have as many as we can use on the walls, though I could wish I had another a hundred or two for sorties. Half an hour later the great machines began their work, hurling vast stones with tremendous force against the castle wall. Strongly as this was built, Archie saw that it would ere many days crumble before the blows. I did not reckon on such machines as these, he said to Sandy. Doubtless they are of the huge machines which King Edward had constructed for the siege of Stirling, and which have remained there since the castle was taken. Fortunately, we still have the moat when a breach is made, and it will be hard work to cross that. All day the great stones thundered against the wall. The defenders were not idle, but kept up a shower of arrows against the edge of the bound behind which the machines were hidden. But although many of the, those working there were killed, fresh relays came constantly up, and the machines never ceased their work. By nightfall, the face of the wall was bruised and battered. Many of the stones in front had fallen from their place. Another twenty-four hours, Archie said to Marjorie as he joined her in the great hall, and the breach will be begun. Forty-eight, and it will be completed. They will go on all night, and we may expect no rest until the work is done. In an hour's time, I shall sally out from the passage to the, to the wood and beat up their camp. Expecting no attack from the rear, we shall do them rare damage ere they can gather to oppose us. As soon as they do so, we shall be off again, and, and, scattering in various directions, gather again in the wood and return here. An hour later, Archie, with two hundred men, started. No sooner had he left than Marjorie called Sandy Graham and Andrew McPherson, which he had left in joint command during his absence. Now, she said, I am not going to remain quiet here while Sir Archie does all the fighting. Therefore do you gather all the garrison together, leaving only twenty to hold the gate. See that the wheels of the drawbridge are well oiled, and the hinges of the gate. Directly we see that the attack has become upon the camp, we will lower the drawbridge quietly, open the gates, and sally out. There is no great force in the outer work. When we have cleared that, which, if we are quick, we can do so without alarming the camp, seeing what a confusion and uproar will be going on there, we will make straight along to the point where the machines are placed. Let some of the men take axes and cut the ropes, and let others cut and carry faggots while steeped in oil. We will pile them around the machines and light them, and thus having ensured their destruction, we will fall back again. But, Lady Marjorie, Sandy began. I will not have no buts, Sandy. You must just do as I order you, and I will answer to Sir Archie. I shall myself go forth with you and see that the work is properly done. The two men looked doubtfully at each other. Now, Andrew, Marjorie said briskly, let us have no hesitation or talk. The plan is a good one. I do not say that it is not a good one, Sandy replied cautiously, or that it is not the one Sir Archie might have been carried out if he had been here. Very well, Andrew, then that is quite enough. I give you the orders and I am responsible, and if you and Sandy do not choose to obey me, I shall call the men together myself and lead them without you. As Sandy and Andrew were quite conscious that their lady would be as good as her word, they at once proceeded to carry her orders into effect. The wheels of the portcullis and drawbridge were oiled, as were the bolts and hinges of the gate. The men were formed up in the courtyard, where presently they were joined by Marjorie, who had put on a light steel cap and a shirt of mail, and who had armed herself with a light sword. The men gathered round her enthusiastically, and would have burst into tears had she not held up her hand as a command silence. I will to the wall now, she said, to watch for the signal. The instant the attack begins and the attention of those in the outwork is called that way, draw up the portcullis noiselessly and open the gate, oil the hinges of the drawbridge, and have everything in readiness, and I will join you. Let the drawbridge be lowered swiftly, and as it falls we will rush across. You have, I suppose, told off the men who are to remain behind. Tell them that when the last of us is crossed, they are to raise the drawbridge a few feet, so that none can cross it until we return. Then, accompanied by MacPherson, she ascended the walls. 
all was quiet in the hostile camp which was about a quarter of a mile distant and only the creaking of the wheels of the machines and the orders of those directing them and the dull crash of the great stones struck the wall broke the stillness of the night for half an hour they watched and then a sudden uproar was heard in the camp the scottish war cry pealed out followed by shouts and yells and almost instantly flames were seen to mount up my lord is at work marjorie said it is time for us to be doing also so saying she ran down to the courtyard sandy graham macpherson and a few picked men took their place around her then the drawbridge was suddenly run down and the scotch dashed across it as marjorie had anticipated the english and the outwork had gathered on the farther side and were watching the sudden outbreak in the camp alarmed at the prospect of an attack perhaps by the bruce in that quarter they were suddenly startled by the rush of the feet across the drawbridge and before they had time to recover from their surprise the scots were upon them the latter were superior in numbers, and the English, already alarmed by the attack upon their camp, offered but a feeble resistance. Many were cut down, but the greater part leaped from the wall and fled toward the camp. The moment resistance ceased, the outer gate was thrown open, and at full speed the Scotch made for the machines. The party here had suspended their work and were gazing toward the camp where the uproar was now great. The wind was blowing briskly, and the fire had spread with immense rapidity, and already half the camp was in flames suddenly from the bank above the scots poured down upon them like a torrent there was scarcely a thought of resistance stricken with dismay and astonishment at the unexpected attack the soldiers working the machines fled hastily only a few falling beneath the swords of the scots the men with axes at once fell upon the machines cutting the ropes smashing the wheels and the levers which worked them while those with faggots piled them round in less than two minutes the work was done lighted torches were applied to the faggots and the flames soon shot up hotly the Scots waited but a moment, a minute or two to see that the work was thoroughly done and that the flames had got a fair hold, and then, keeping in a close body, they retired to the castle. Not a soul was met with by the way, and leaving Andrew Macpherson with fifty men to hold the outwork until Archie should return to decide whether it should be occupied, Marjorie, with the rest, re-entered the castle. She had once ascended to the walls again, where Sandy also posted the men to be in readiness to open fire with their arrows should the English return and endeavor to extinguish the flames around the machines. The sound of fighting had ceased at the camp. By the light of the flames, the numbers of the English could be seen pulling down the tents which the fire had not reached and endeavoring to check the conflagration, while a large body of horse and foot were rapidly advancing toward the castle. As soon as they came within bowshot, the archers opened fire, and the English leaders, seeing that it was already too late to save the machines, which were by this time completely enveloped in flames, that men would only be sacrificed to no good purpose, halted the troops. They then moved toward the outwork, but finding this in possession of the Scots, they fell back again to the camp to take counsel as to the next steps to be adopted. Archie's attack had been crowned with complete success. Apprehending no danger from behind, the English had neglected to place sentries there, and the Scots were already among the tents before their presence was discovered. Numbers of the English were cut down and the tents fired, and as soon as the English recovered from their first surprise and began to form, Archie gave the word for a retreat. This was effected without molestation, for the first thought of the English was to save the camp from total destruction. The reports of the men who escaped from the castle outwork and the outbursts of flames around the machines added to the confusion which reigned, and the leaders, who were by the light of the flames ascertained that the assault upon the camp had been made by a small body of the enemy, deemed it of the first importance to move at once to save the machines if it were still possible. The Scots regained the entrance to the passage without the loss of a single man, and, passing through, soon re-entered the castle. Marjorie had laid aside her warlike trappings and awaited her husband's return at the inner entrance of the passage. "'We have had good success, Marjorie,' Archie said as he greeted her, as you all have seen from the walls. "'The greater part of the English camp is destroyed. We have killed great numbers and have not lost a man.' "'That is good news indeed, Archie. 
we too have not been quite idle while you have been away why what have you been doing marjorie archie asked in surprise come up to the walls and i will show you archie mounted with her and gave a sort of surprise as he looked toward the machines the great body of fire had died down now but the beams of the machines stood red and glowing while a light flickering flame played round them you see if we had not been idle archie we have destroyed the machines and retaken the outwork which is now held by andrew macpherson with fifty men why what magic is this wife no magic at all sir knight we have been carrying out the work which you as a wise and skilful commander should have ordered before you left we have taken advantage of the confusion of the enemy by the fire in their camp and have made a sortie and a successful one as you see i am delighted indeed archie said and the destruction of those machines is indeed a great work still sandy and macpherson should have not undertaken it without orders from me they might have been cut off in the castle storm before i came back they had orders from me sir and that was quite sufficient to do them justice they hesitated about obeying me and i was well nigh ordering them to the dungeon for disobedience and they only gave way at last when i said they could stop at home if they liked but that i should lead out the retainers of course i went in your place with armor and sword for perhaps it was as well that i had no fighting to do do you mean marjorie that you really led the sortie i don't think i led it archie but i certainly went out with it and very exciting it was there dear don't be look troubled of course as the chantelaine of the castle i was bound to animate my men you have done bravely and well indeed marjorie and i am proud of my wife still dear i tremble at the thought of the risk you ran no more risks than you are constantly running archie and i am rather glad you tremble because in future you will understand my feelings better left here all alone while you are risking your life perpetually with the king the success of the sally and the courage and energy shown by marjorie raised the spirits of the garrison to the highest pitch and archie given the wood they would have sallied out and fallen upon the besiegers two days later fresh machines arrived from stirling and the attack again commenced the besiegers and keeping a large body of men near the gate to prevent a repetition of the last sally archie now dispatched two or three fleet-footed runners through the passage to find the king and to tell him that the besiegers were making progress and to pray him to come to his assistance two days passed and the breach was now fairly practicable but the moat fifty feet wide still barred the way to the besiegers archie had noticed that for two or three days no water had come down from above and had no doubt that they had diverted the course of the river upon the day after the breach was completed the besiegers advanced a great force up the stream from below they are going to try to cut the dam archie said to sandy place every man who could draw a bow upon that side of the castle as the english approached the rain of arrows was poured into them but covering themselves with their shields and with large mantles formed of hurdles covered with hides they pressed forward to the dam here those who were brought with them picked some mattocks set to work upon the dam the men with mantlets shielding them from the storm of arrows while numbers of archers opened fire upon the defenders very many were killed by the scottish arrows but the work went on a gap was made through the dam the water as it rushed through aided the efforts of those at work and after three hours later in fighting the gap was so far deepened that the water in the moat had fallen eight feet then finding that this could now be waited the assailants desisted and drew off to their camp a council was held that evening in the castle as whether the hold should be abandoned at once or whether one attack on the breach should be withstood it was finally determined that the breach should be held the steep sides of the moat exposed by the subsidence of the water were slippery and difficult 
The force in the castle was amply sufficient at once to man the breach and to furnish archers through the walls on either side, while in the defense of the worst, where the breach carried by the English, the defenders might fall back to the central keep and thence make their way through the passage. Had it not been for the possibility of an early arrival of the king to their relief, all agreed that it would be as well to evacuate the castle at once, as this in the end must fall, and every life spent in its defense would thus be a useless sacrifice. As, however, truce might at any moment appear, it was determined to hold the castle until the last. The next morning, a party of knights in full defensive armor came down to the edge of the moat to see whether passage could be effected. They were not molested while making their examination, as the Scottish heroes would only have dropped harmless off their steel harness. Archie was on the walls. "'How like you the prospect, sir knights?' he called out merrily. "'I fear that the sledge and slight will sully your bright armor and smirch your plumes, "'for it will be difficult to hold a footing on those muddy banks. "'Or are best for you to meet you, Sir Archibald Forbes, "'without giving us the trouble of making our way across your moat. "'You have made a stout resistance, and have done enough for honor, "'and you must see that sooner or later we must win our way again.' "'Then I would rather it should be later,' Archie replied. I may have done enough for honor, but it is not for honor that I am fighting, but for Scotland. Your work is but begun, yet, I can assure you, we are far from being at the end of our resources yet. It will be time enough to talk about surrendering when you have won the breach in the outer walls. The knights retired, and as some hours passed without the besiegers seeing any preparations for an assault, they judged that the report carried back to the camp was not an encouraging one. Large numbers of men were, however, seen leaving the camp, and these were sunset came back staggering under immense loads of brushwoods which they had cut in the forest. They intend to fill up the moat, Archie said. It is their wisest course. He at once directed his men to make up large trusses of straw, over which he poured considerable quantities of oil. Early the next morning the English drew out of their camp, and they advanced in martial array. Each man carried a great faggot, and, covering themselves with these as they came down within bowshot, they marched down to the moat. Each in turn threw in his packet, and when he had done so, returned to the camp and brought another. Rapidly the process of filling up the moat opposite to the breach continued. The besiegers kept up a rain of arrows and darts, and many of the English were killed. But the work was continued without intermission until well nigh across the moat a broad crossway was formed level with the outer bank. But a narrow gap remained to be filled, and the English leaders advanced to the front to prevent the Scots of the breach rushing down to assault those placing the faggots. Somewhat to the surprise of the English, the defenders remained stationary, contenting themselves with throwing great stones at their busy enemy. Suddenly there was a movement. Archie and a party of his best men dashed down into the breach, and, climbing the causeway, for a moment drove the workers in their gods back. They were followed by twenty men carrying great trusses of straw. These were piled up against the faggots forming the end of the causeway. Archie and his band left back as the torturers applied to the straw. In a moment the hot flames leapt up, causing the knights who were pressed after the retreating Scots to fall back hastily. A shout of triumph rose from the garrison, and one of dismay from the besiegers. So with the oil, the trusses burnt with fury, and the faggots were soon alight. A fresh wind was blowing, and the flames crept rapidly along the causeway. In a few minutes this was in a blaze from end to end, and in a half an hour nothing remained of the great pile save charred ashes and the saturated faggots which had been below the water in the boat, and which now floated upon it. The besiegers had drawn off when they saw that the flames had gained a fair hold of the causeway. The smoke had scarcely ceased to rise when a great outcry arose from the English camp, and the lookout from the top of the keep perceived a strong force marching toward it. By the bustle and confusion which reigned in the camp, Archie doubted not that the newcomers were Scots. The garrison was instantly called to arms. The gates were thrown open, and leaving a small body only to hold the gates, he sallied out at the head of his men and marched toward the English camp. 
of the approach of the scottish force the english leaders had marched out with their men to oppose him bruce had been enabled to collect but three hundred and fifty men and the english seeing how small was the number advancing against him prepared to receive them boldly scarcely had the combat begun when archie with his band entered the english camp which was almost deserted they at once fired the tents and then advanced in a solid mass with level spears against the rear of the english these dismayed at the destruction of the camp and finding themselves attacked both front and rear lost heart and fell into confusion their leaders strove to rally them and dashed with their men-at-arms against the spearmen but their efforts to break through were in vain and their defeat increased the panic of the footmen Orchie's party broke away through the disordered line and joined the body commanded by the king, and the whole rushed so fiercely upon the English that these broke and fled in all directions, pursued by the triumphant Scots. "'I am but just in time, I see, Sir Archie,' Bruce said, pointing to the breach in the wall. "'A few hours more, methinks I should have been too late.' "'We could have held out longer than that, sire,' Archie replied. "'We have repulsed an attack this morning, and burned a causeway of faggots upon which they attempted to cross the moat.' Still, I am truly glad that you have revived, and thank you with all my heart for coming so speedily to my rescue, for sooner or later the whole must have fallen. The great machines which they have brought with them from Stirling proved too strong for the wall. And how has the Lady Marjorie burned her during the siege? the king inquired. Right nobly, the Archie replied, ever in good spirits and showing a brave face to the men, and one night when I made a sortie through my secret passage, and fell upon the English camp from the other side, having left the castle on our charge, she headed the garrison and issuing out, recaptured the outworks and destroyed the machines by fire. Bravely done, the king said, and just what I should expect from your wife. You did well to take my advice in that matter. We shall never agree there, sire, for as you know I follow my own will and wed the bride I have fixed upon for myself. "'Well, well, Sir Archie, as we are both satisfied, we'll e'en let it be. "'And now I trust that you have still have some supplies yet, "'for to tell you the truth, I am hungry as well as weary, "'and my men have marched fast and far.' "'There is an abundance,' Archie replied, "'to last them all for a month, "'and by willingly is it at their service.' "'The king remained for a week at Aberfilly, "'his main aiding Archie's retainers "'in repairing the gap in the dam and in, in rebuilding the wall, "'and as five hundred men working willingly and well can effect wonders, "'by the time Bruce rode away, the castle was restored to his former appearance. "'Archie marched on the following day and rejoined Douglas and Galloway. End of chapter 21 Recording by Gabrielle C.